really wanted to do this podcast without having to dive too much in to the financial markets. And a big reason for that is the financial markets will trigger political leanings in people. Largely, I think, because a lot of people don't really understand uh, the situation. I'll just give an example. Someone might have the opinion that the financial system and my stocks, bonds, trading, all that stuff, it benefits the wealthy more than it benefits the aggregate American. And that's absolutely true. Like, it's not even an opinion, really. Because what the stock market is, uh, and the whole thing, is an opportunity. And that opportunity requires resources to leverage, right? So if you think about, like, think about land. Somebody wants to buy some land uh, and farm it. Well, unless you have the money to go buy that land, it's not much of an opportunity for you, right? So, I mean, land for sale, uh, such as farmland or ranch land or whatever kind of land that's going to make you money, benefits wealthy people more than it does the average American for the exact same reason. Uh, you go to the stock market, you can make a, let's just say you make a 50% return on your investment, which would be considered a really good return. Um, but the more you spend, the more money you're going to get back, even at the same percentage. So someone who invests a million dollars and gets a 50% return, they're going to make $500,000. Somebody who invests ten thousand dollars is only going to make five thousand dollars. That is a huge difference on the exact same opportunity, right? So it's a simple product of math. All opportunities for investment disproportionately benefit people who have the means to actually invest in them, right? So that's not really a limitation on the financial system. That's literally just the very nature of private property, almost. And it is something that is not any different for cryptocurrency. The same principle applies. Assuming that cryptocurrency has value, you want to buy it, it goes up in value, you sell it, the amount of money that you make will be determined by how much money you have to spend in the beginning. It is the means to acquire capital, means to invest. The system itself is neutral in that effect. And so, where you can get in to some things that aren't neutral could be in different kinds of ways that you classify your income from those investments. And so that starts to get into regulations, that starts to get into tax policy. But in terms of, you know, the investment scenarios yourself, investment in and of itself benefits people with the ability to invest more than it benefits people with people without the ability to invest. Not unlike an airplane is more beneficial to somebody who knows how to fly it than it is to someone who doesn't know how to fly. 
have to have the means to be able to use the opportunity to take advantage of it. And, you know, by that very by that very fact, it tends to make rich people richer because they are investing more money. They're getting more value back in return. The amount of percentage that they're seeing on their investment is not any higher or lower than an average American, a wealthy American, or a poor American. They just have put more in and therefore more comes out. Except cryptocurrency, same thing. There's not a difference there. So if your opinion politically, you know, on the financial system is unfair due to the ability to um this is a little bit of a mystery actually. And again, I'm not coming to you as an expert on cryptocurrencies at the whole point. Again, this podcast is to have you know, a bar, tabletop type conversation, you know, discussion, thought experiments that, you know, us normal everyday Americans can appreciate and articulate and understand without having to dive into the weeds, you know, of the hyper details and, and the differences. So, it's unclear to me without, you know, going and doing some research. If anyone had thought about something like blockchain, thought about something like a cryptocurrency, you know, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, I mean, what you'll actually find, um, when you go back in time far enough in the 20th century, is a lot of these new ideas we have today, they're not really new. They just didn't have the technology at the time to make them happen. For example, Somebody in the 80s could have definitely come up with an idea of a blockchain. But they didn't even have Windows 95 or Windows 98 or the internet, right? Or any of these things that are technology enablers. And so that's why I hesitate to grant anyone the title of having coming up with the idea. Now, the first was kind of big one, right? I don't even like, I don't like saying first because I don't know. But the first mainstream one, the first that we heard about was Bitcoin. And I'm going to give you full disclosure. I knew about Bitcoin when it was like cents. I remember actually buying some Bitcoin way back. I can't even know what year. But I guarantee you that it was like a dollar was going to give you like a thousand Bitcoins or something. I know I spent a dollar to get a thousand but then I never paid attention to it again. And, you know, it's frustrating to not know what happened to those thousand Bitcoins that I paid a dollar for. I don't remember if I generated a wallet or exactly how it played out. I just remember seeing an advertisement where it's a dollar, you know, it's the best opportunity. I mean, it's a dollar. How much do you, what do you waste a dollar on in your life? And so, one thousand of those Bitcoins that are sitting out there, unclaimed, are mine. I have no way to cover them, no way to prove. I couldn't even find any emails that far back that um, would have referenced that. Now that I think about it, I may go check my PayPal. Because I may have used that at the same time. That might have been slightly before I really got into the old day. 
So, I don't know. That's full disclosure. Like, somewhere, I mean, I can be a millionaire right now based on the number of Bitcoins that I bought for no reason other than, you know, it was like a novelty thing, you know? I was into technology. It was brand new. And I'll spend a dollar of a thousand of these things. Uh, maybe it was a dollar for a hundred. I don't remember. I think they were less than a cent a piece, though, back then. I mean, it was brand, brand new. Nobody gave a shit about them. I'm uh, pretty sure it was a thousand for a dollar. But, again, couldn't find any documentation, any paper trail, or anything in my email to suggest I even had these things. And that's kind of the point. There's a philosophy out there that, you know, these cryptocurrencies, when they were created, why they were created, was to decentralize the control And it's kind of a good idea, I think, but there's limitations. And I'm trying to think what's the best way to sort of discuss that concept in of itself. Because you really need a purpose here. What is the purpose of okay? decentralizing money? What does that mean? What does that buy you? I mean, that's not really a, that's not an end state to get a dis- decentralized Monetary system. Okay, cool. That's what we got. What are we going to do with it? What's it good for? And what it's good for is to extract control of it. Now, it's really easier to imagine now the difference between untraceable money and traceable. But we don't really have to go that far back in time. Think about untraceable money. Like before debit cards, before computers, everything was cash, right? So you didn't have to launder money. Before bank accounts existed, right? Everything was cash. You know, and then, then we got computer systems where Instead of storing cash, you know, you'd have your money in an account. You have a number in an account that represented the amount of money that you were entitled to. Right? You're not, there's not actual money in your account, right? Your account is a computer. Right? It's a number on a screen. When you log into your bank account right now, or whatever your financial position, you look at that screen, you aren't looking at money. You were looking at a representation, graphical representation of an amount of money that your bank is telling you that you're entitled to. And legally, you know, your bank or financial institute is obligated under the law to keep track of how much money you gave them and make sure that at any time you can withdraw up to that amount of money from Generally speaking, I think there's rules maybe when you get into it. Uh, not every bank under the law is required to be able to let you withdraw $10 million at any time of day to day. There may be some you know, caveats to that that rule in terms of how long that you have and they have to, to get you that kind of cash. And then there's federal laws, right, that tell the bank how much cash they have to have on hand. Right? They're not required generally to have enough cash on hand to give cash to every single person who wants to close their account. So, but nobody has real money. 
physical cash. And nobody has, banks don't even have all the cash, right? They're about 10, 15 percent or something like that. So where's all the bank stuff, right? So the bank, literally, the bank has more money than that 10 percent. Not only do they have all of your money, they have all their own money. Well, that generally is held in another account that says how much we have. They send it to another bank, and so forth. So no one really has any money, right? Not nowadays. Um, and it really hasn't been that long, in time history-wise, that we've gone from pure cash to this electronic money. And so electronic money, digital money, is different from cryptocurrency. Kind of. But, and here's the first big difference. Well, let me say this first. You can hold your cryptocurrency in the standard way that you hold all your other kind of money, or you can hold your cryptocurrency like you can hold cash. So, for example, if you have your own hardware wallet, and you don't know what hardware wallet is, it is literally a physical piece of device that will store the electronic blockchain or some portion of it that has the cryptocurrency that you obtained on it. Now, I'm not going to try to get into how exactly blockchain works and how it records transactions and how to know what address has what, because um, that's pretty deep. And I couldn't even probably explain it very well in any short amount of time. And I'm definitely not an expert on it. I just have enough of a coding background and a hardware background to understand this. But for the most part, general people, um, they hold theirs in an online wallet. Now, that begins to raise questions. We're so used to just depositing money in the bank, and then we spend the money in the bank by sending digits of dollar amounts to different people. That's all we send. Buy something from Amazon, right? You're sending a dollar amount. Whatever that dollar amount is, you say, I confirm, I'm going to pay this back. And what you're doing, you're authorizing a bank to take, to change the digits in your account from whatever they were before, minus whatever you just transferred to someone else. And then you're authorizing that person and their financial institute to add those digits to their account. All money is changing, right? No one's, nobody behind the scenes tracking, um, taking a briefcase from your bank over to Amazon, like, all right, I'm paying this on behalf of that. It is literally digits changing on the screen. Right? And it's easier probably to think about checks, um, because checks are a good stepping stone from cash to digital currency. So checks came around, you know, in a lot of different forms, actually. And in fact, in some ways, like insurance bonds may have predated checks in some places, like, you know, ancient Rome and whatnot, where the whole idea was, 
a piece of paper has a value that can be exchanged. And before cash money, when it was still like coins and things, cash money, when it was printed and minted, that kind of fiat money, was not the first time that you could use a piece of paper to, to, re, to redeem some value. There's a number of different names, different cultures called it different names. I don't want to go down, you know, uh, a vocabulary test, but somebody would get a piece of document guaranteed by somebody else that says, um, whoever carries this document or this piece of paper is entitled to this much gold or what, right? So, in some cases, a check, well, the very purpose or the sort of the concept of a check predated cash money. Some of that has to do with technology and being able to cash money, those papers, you know, those bonds, whatever they want, whatever you want to call them, whatever they're called in history, what kind of paper they were made on. They weren't as durable as modern cash companies. Right? There's risk to them. I mean, they got wet, if they got burned up, I mean, it's from toast. Um, just like a check today, right? A check today, the paper that it's on is not nearly as robust as printed paper money. But a check is a good analogy for digital money in that not actually changing hands of money, you are changing the right to withdraw money. And the way that that right to withdraw some amount of money from all the individual is through digits. And to some extent, any kind of asset today can be represented by digit and account. Right? The value the stocks that you shown as a digit in an account. You don't have the actual stocks, which are generally you know, certificates that are on paper. Um, maybe they're digital in some cases today, but then that starts to blow the line. Why bother? Um, and the same things with cryptocurrencies. A lot of people are buying cryptocurrency, whether it's on a Coinbase exchange or a Robinhood thing or whatever. You're not actually getting the digital asset itself, the cryptocurrency, the blockchain, the code that confirms that you own it. You don't have it in your physical possession. It is in the possession of some piece of software that then tells you that you have the right to access it through this point, through this exchange, and the value of what you have the right to access is shown to you by a digit number. And that's all you got. So you can see how if your account would magically go to zero somewhere, but you got nothing. You got nothing. And you know, unless there's somebody who's willing or yeah, I mean willing and able to put digits back in your account then you will have nothing. And right, this is where you get into identity theft and fraud, all these kinds of things, right? People hacking in your deposits, all these scams. Because if somebody can get you to bring your own account down to zero and you know, do it in a way that you get physical money and give that money to somebody, I mean, it's never coming back. It's never coming back. 
know, so you, you get cheated, if you get hacked, if you get scammed, it's better to get hacked or scammed in a way that only involves digits and doesn't involve actual cash because they can retrieve those digits easier than you can retrieve cash because digits are centralized. And they're centralized not necessarily from a practical standpoint. Um, it's really kind of silly to discuss a spatial aspect to like electronic information because it can exist in all places at one time. What is centralized is the ability to add numbers to your account. So if you have an account with uh, you know, some bank, Bank X, only Bank X has the authority to add numbers to your account. And it's the same thing with like a cryptocurrency exchange. If you have an account with the exchange, only that exchange has the ability to go in and add numbers to your account. And those digits get changed by, you know, through the interface. You submit some money or some other kind of crypto, and their system says, okay, we recognize this, we accept it, you're returning this amount of value. And they change your account digit to reflect whatever that determination is. And I'm trying to not go down the rabbit hole of just the theoretical nature of, of electronic data itself. The, the point here is the acknowledgement. And a legal, a legal acknowledgement, a legal right to be entitled to a certain value of something, regardless of where it may exist physically.